Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Welcome. Delighted to have you all here. Uh, my name's Ian Minocha, CEO of Gresham, um, and absolutely thrilled to welcome you to our investor briefing. Um, it doesn't seem that long ago since we met on the July half-year results roadshow, um, and at the time we promised you we'd give you a full update on Flow, our new product offering, um, back in July. So here we are. It's not a full capital markets day. It's a very focused briefing um, around Flow. Um, and this has been three and a half years or so in the making. So I, I hope during the course of the next hour and a half, we really share with you our enthusiasm for um, a really, really interesting project and a phenomenal opportunity for the company and for you as our shareholders. So we have a strong team presenting today. I'll be joined a little later on by Tom Mullen, our CFO that many of you know, as well as Neil Vernon, our Chief Technology Officer. I'm delighted to welcome Geneva Loder, our Chief Marketing Officer who joined over the summer period, who'll also be presenting. And I'm also delighted to welcome um, three days in on the job, um, our new chair. Um, welcome to Team Gresham, Richard. Thank you. Delighted Thank you. to have you on board. Great to be on board. And uh, I can say I'm very excited uh, and uh, really pleased to be joining such an enthusiastic and professional team uh, at Gresham. And I look forward to working with them for the future. I think it's a very exciting and positive time. Uh, some of you will already know me uh, and will confirm that as chair, my door is always open, so please do feel free to contact me. My details are generally available uh, and my door is open uh, at any time. So please do, uh, do, uh, do make contact. But with that, I'll leave you to the most important bit of the, uh, the afternoon. Uh, that is uh, to hear from Ian uh, and, and the exec team. So good to meet you on this occasion. And I'll see you all face to face for those who haven't seen me before. Cheers. Bye-bye. Fabulous. Um, Thank you, Richard. Um, so yeah, let's get started. Um, quickly whiz through the agenda. I want to start with a quick recap of our strategy. I know many of you on the call have been following us for quite a few years, but we actually have, uh, I'm delighted to say, quite a few non-holders joined today. So quick whiz through our strategy, update you on a background to flow the project, and then uh, delighted that we'll be joined uh, live from Australia by an executive from ANZ, who I'll introduce a little later on. Um, we'll then talk about really moving from Flow as a project into Flow as a product and a line of business. Um, Neil will join me to talk about market requirements um, and the opportunity ahead. Um, we'll talk about some new use cases um, and provide a demonstration. Um, and then we'll talk about the technology that underpins the platform and then we'll move on and we'll talk a little bit about our plans to go to market. Uh, and I'll be joined by Geneva for that. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about our view as to how we're going to fund the business moving forward uh, and how it plays into our group financials and our group plan overall. And Tom will cover that. Moving on to strategy, a very, very quick recap. So many of you, as I said, will have followed our journey. And I think if you turn your minds back just over a decade ago, 10, 12 years ago, 
we started the investment in clarity. And that investment in clarity was funded from the cash flows of a legacy business. And we've now built clarity into a substantial and successful business in its own right. And that journey started you know, with a portfolio of businesses, a cross-industry portfolio, a disparate set of products and services, and essentially low margin overall, very little growth, and a mixed portfolio of largely annual contracts and occasional one-time, one-off licenses. Um, some of that technology was data center technology, some of it was third-party technology with the you know, attendant lower margins. And I think we had relatively high customer concentration and a business that was largely focused in the UK uh, and Australia. Um, and I think as a result of that, um, the valuation of the business, the multiples that we were seeing were largely based on being a service company uh, and a company with one-time occasional license fees. The investment that we made with your support into Clarity has transformed the business um, and we have a journey ahead of us to get to a completely pure play software business um, with a portfolio of complementary financial technology offerings. Uh, and Flow, of course, now is another one of those. And that business is much higher margin, uh, much higher growth. We are, in general, working with multi-year recurring revenue contracts. Uh, it's Gresham-owned IP and our customer concentration has substantially reduced. We're a far more resilient business. And I think, most importantly, therefore, we are valued based on traditional pure play software SaaS revenue multiples. And that's the journey that we're on and the investment that we've made in Clarity has got us to where we are today. Um, for those of you that are less familiar with, with that story, um, you know, our mission as a company now is um, to help our clients um, with their objectives in terms of the quality of their business processes and the accuracy of their data. And that really plays to their risk and regulatory agendas and their business efficiency agendas. We have some 10 offices around the world and you can see that that clarity recurring revenue has built up very substantially. Um, the blue bars there with a big step up when we acquired Electra in the US. And our core markets remain capital markets, um, buy side and sell side, insurance, energy trading, very much in financial services though. Uh, an incredible list of blue chip clients and a very strong team around the world with an outstanding team culture, high levels of engagement, a real quality team. And that's led us now to a business with approaching 300 customers around the world. So that's the backdrop, um, if you will, of the investment that we made into Clarity a decade ago. Um, and it's really with that in mind that we started the additional investment that we made into Flow. Uh, and think of this as another wave of opportunity coming through as we build the company out over the next five to ten years. So I think that's a perfect time for us to introduce Flow. And I know that many of you were with us back in 2019 when we announced the start of a partnership, a commercial partnership with ANZ Bank. And 
The flow was not what we were calling the product or the project at the time. We talked about an innovation partnership in digital corporate banking. And the announcement went out in September of 2019 and very much talked about a partnership to build out innovation in a space, corporate cash management, um, that had in the wider global market seen little innovation over many, many years. Over the last um, three and a half years or so, an awful lot has happened um, and we're in a great place now. Just, I guess, a quick summary of what's happened over that period. From the announcement in September 2019 through 2020 and 2021, when we were working with ANZ Bank, we were designing, we were building and we were shipping early releases of the product into 2022. Uh, when ANZ were receiving that product and taking it through their um, extensive, robust testing processes to really where we are now, where we have a production-grade product um, in with ANZ Bank, um, and they're now moving towards the next phase of their work, which is monetization. Um, and I, I think I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled to welcome um, Alan Hughes, um, who is head of um, the Transaction Banking Product Management Group to join us today. Alan, I can see that you've just popped up on the screen. Uh, welcome. Um, I have to say there's not, there's not too many people that, um, that I know who would get out of bed at uh, one in the morning um, to discuss digital innovation in uh, corporate and institutional banking. So especially to talk to a bunch of fund managers. So, Alan, you, you know, eternally gra grateful to you. And I guess it's a reflection of the, you know, the relationship we built over the years. So welcome, um, welcome to the briefing. Thank you. Maybe we can start off, actually, Alan, by just telling us a little bit about your background and your role in ANZ. Um, yeah, my role at ANZ, I look after the product function within transaction banking, which is part of uh, our institutional division. Um, and transaction banking, so my role oversees what I would describe as a team of subject matter experts who deliver um, products and services, mostly to our large corporate clients across the sphere of uh, payments, cash management, trade and supply chain. So really helping companies manage their working capital and their liquidity. And, um, you know, product I call the sort of the engine room of transaction banking, sort of the engine room of of the bank in many ways and equally um you know transaction banking has become i think um the engine room of our clients it's certainly the product that uh, more and more defines um, a client's lead bank go back 15 years it was typically the bank that lent them the most money and these days particularly post both the gfc and post the pandemic it's actually the bank that that they turn on every day when they put on their UI and manage their banking, looks after their money and helps them manage their working capital more efficiently. So it's a pretty good place to be in, in the bank right now. Um, now, um, ANZ has been a customer of Gresham for well over a decade. And, and actually, most of our investors are familiar with the work that we do um, in the capital markets or the investment banking arena. Um, but of course, we've, we, work, we do work with ANZ in, in your global markets yeah. business. But, but actually, um, a lot of our work has indeed been in the transa 
transaction banking arena um, with our accounts receivable matching offering, for example. Um, but I, I guess flow very much talks to your work in, in the transaction banking space. So I, I guess if you wouldn't mind, just position that in the context of ANZ's overall global business and tell us a little bit more about um, the makeup of the business. Sure. Uh, and I see you've got a couple of slides that I sent that might help to just um, visualize that a bit for the audience. So this one here is our footprint, which we're particularly proud of and is particularly differential amongst the Aussie banks. We describe ourselves as the most international of the Australian banks and the most Australian of the international banks. We're in over 30 countries, have been in many of those for decades. I think we celebrate, for example, 50 years in Singapore next year. And the history of the organisation when it started in, in England back in the 1800s was to support commodity flows to Australia, etc. So we've had a long history of being international and looking at helping clients that are moving goods and capital around the region. The strategy today is very much around supporting the financial well-being of the communities that we serve. Our purpose statement is to help uh, people and communities thrive. And we've got now three segments where we feel we can win, and that's helping people buy and own a home, start and run a small business, and move goods and capital around our region, which we largely define as Asia-Pacific. And we largely focus on those movements to and from Australia and New Zealand, but not exclusively. And that's really the focus of the institutional. One feature of ANZ, I think, in my time there has been the last sort of six to seven years has seen real stability in leadership and strategy. So what I'm talking to you about really hasn't changed since Shane Elliott became the CEO in January 2016. Our division head has been head of that division, Mark Whelan, for uh, that same period of time. And we talked about the uh, sort of five sort of planks to that institutional strategy, the clients that we serve and importantly clients that will value what we bring to them as much as we value them. And so we were very clear, having had a footprint where we can be differential and where our local bank is going to service a client better, for example. Within that customer base, what are the propositions that they will value? Friends and sectors, corridors, et cetera, where we felt there was an advantage. And I mentioned specifically those flows to and from Australia and New Zealand. We absolutely leveraged the network to our advantage. Again, as I said, it was unique and obviously a growing trend over that seven-year period and particularly important going forward is delivering digital data and you know optimizing the efficiency of our clients' businesses as well as ours. So transaction banking is one of three main product areas in the division, markets, loans, and TV, as we call it. Sort of has two sides, the payments and cash management side and trade and supply chain, both of them make up working capital. And as I said earlier, together they define, in our view, lead bank. And we've worked, as you said, Ian, with yourselves, mostly on the PCM side, which has gone through an interesting gestation. Again, I would sort of point back to 15 years ago, that same sort of time frame when lead bank was a big lender. Most people viewed payments and cash management as sort of a necessity. You needed bank accounts, you needed to make some payments and receive money. It was kind of hidden a bit. And post-GFC, a lot of companies realised um, how much capital was tied up in inefficient working capital, and also many of them faced liquidity crunches, and they needed to sort of really look at ways in which they manage that business much better and more efficiently. And then post the pandemic, as everyone's got used to working remotely and working from home, it completely accelerated that digitization strategy. So coming out of those two events, as I said, sort of really at the forefront 
when we find there's, there's sort of two or three things that customers are, are really demanding of us now, how can we help them take cost out of the business? How can we help them deliver a better proposition to their customers? And then what can we tell them about their business that they don't know, which is that data plan, as you know, banks have a access to some sort of specific data. So lots of change, lots of things happening in the business. And as a result, getting a fair bit of attention and investment. Again, we talk about our network. We talk about the scale that we've got and operating at the peers. And we we leverage a lot of the deep relationships that the bank has had over that 180-year history that it's got. We're fortunate to have very sort of deep relationships. So we look to support and grow through relationships that we've got as an organization. And we talk about three P's. There's a fourth one, which is the people, but the three P's of our business are around propositions that we own, run and build, platforms that we service them on. And then from time to time and growing, we work with partners where there's a service or proposition that perhaps someone else in the market is better placed to build it and provide it. And we work with them sort of through various forms of partnership. So the platforms, which we talk quite a bit, and again, I think it's quite unique to ANZ, certainly in our market, we have what we call a platforms as a service strategy. And this is simply where we enable our customers to offer the ANZ services to their customers under their own brand, but using our own, if you like, payment rails and other services that we support. The most obvious example of that is the clearing business, which we dominate in Australia, where foreign banks come in and need to access the payment rails, domestic payment rails in Australia. We've done the same for the Australian equivalent of the faster payment mechanism that's coming. And we've seen increasing opportunities to expand that, which leads into perhaps the next part of the conversation, which is around that sort of client money space that we operate in over on the right there. The attraction to us as an organization is this really allows you to leverage build that you're going to need to make anyway for your own corporate clients effectively sort of using those rails in multiple instances to other banks other financial institutions as well as our corporates so we think again that alongside the network and other things sets us apart from our domestic peers so that's the bank in a nutshell do you want me to talk a little more Ian, about that that client money's space, which may be a term unique to ANZ and maybe the audience isn't quite as familiar with it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that would be helpful. So yeah, gr- a really useful overview, Alan. As, as you say, the, the piece that's probably most relevant to us in terms of flow is the client money's yeah. component. So h- how do you think Correct. about that? Correct. Yeah, so we, we, we use this term to refer to um, organisations that look after other clients um, other clients' money, either in escrow or in trust or on behalf of um, uh, legal firms holding money uh, for property purchases, for example, stockbrokers, wealth managers, fund managers, superannuation funds, all of those for whom there's kind of a corporate at the top, but a lot of retail customers underneath, a lot of uh, a lot of bank accounts, a lot of need to to, to reconcile and manage those monies. Um, is what we call the client money space. There's a there's a sister component which we call corporate monies, but um, others might know more as um, virtual accounts, which is which is similar, but it's more where you've got um, just large businesses, governments, multinationals, etc., who've got large complex organizational structures, <clears throat> and the way they want to manage their business is through multiple sort of account structures, but they don't want to 
set up individual accounts with banks. So they use what we call a, a virtual account structure. And you see that a lot around the world. And um, again, they, that sort of um, allows them to manage, reconcile efficiently, um, pool and sweep all their funds, et cetera, into, uh, into simple organizational structures. So the, the, the client minus one is a little nuanced to uh, geographies. Australia's probably got its own um, particularly unique superannuation system, for example. So that what we've what we've operated in in that market is is relatively unique, and and particularly the um, the stockbroking space Ian has has grown enormously in the last uh, few years. It was one one interesting um, observation during the pandemic. So two things: one is a, a stockbroker in, in Australia. It's probably the same in the UK. You know, twenty years ago was was wood panelled offices, and you had to get an appointment to go up to the top end of town. To see someone these days, it's a it's a digital proposition operating out of a much smaller um, office and available to the masses. So that's transformed that industry on the one hand, and then then literally during the pandemic, a lot of people <laughs> became um, hobby um, uh, investors, and the growth we've seen in the account um, business through some of these funds has been has been uh, astronomical. So, so we've enjoyed a lot of growth in that in that space. The virtual account space you just hear where you go. To, I think you were yourselves at Cybos recently. It's 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 a topic on everyone's mind about how we can help large uh, corporates and governments manage those um, uh, those accounts. In both cases, what's really attractive to um, a bank like us is that the, that sort of structure becomes quite embedded. So it's quite sticky business. Um, and the nature of the deposits, uh, I don't want to get too complicated here, but they, they because they relate to retail clients typically at the back end, they're more valuable to the bank. So it's high growth, it's attractive, it's sticky, it's strategically important. So it's become an area that we've spent a lot of time on over the years, and that's really why we led to the discussions with yourselves around flow. And that's interesting because, as you say, it's a market that's evolved very quickly, particularly after COVID. And we've seen that in Europe. We're seeing it in the States now, as, as you were saying. It's, it was um, topic of the month over in, in Cybos. So as you were thinking about how you could um, modernise your platforms to capture that opportunity with your clients, um, can you tell us a little bit about why you ultimately chose to work with Gresham versus, I guess, the other alternatives, building in-house or trying to adapt existing pa uh, packages that might have been out there on the market? So we were facing into, and again, at the time we commenced this assessment, we hadn't hit the volume growth that we just described, but we were seeing volumes and trends starting to grow. And you're correct, we were operating this business through a, a platform that was probably in need of a of a of a refresh and a, re, a, re, a revisit and it was an opportunity for us to look at modern platforms so api enabled iso 20022 cloud native technology all of those sort of modern architecture things that um uh, you know when you're investing for the future you need to take on board um we did not um and, and the way this sort of architecture sits um is a little different to the core um, banking architecture anyway, but we certainly didn't want to embark on a large um, sort of native um, project within the organisation, certainly anything that was impacting the core banking system. Um, we ran an RFP, as you know, it was a it was a quite a um, um, transparent 
process and we tested the market on various, on various angles. Um, we did find some of the sort of existing packages probably didn't offer us the modernization that we were seeking. Um, and the idea struck us that there was an opportunity if we did a build with a third party that we could um, design it around the specific use cases that we were seeing um, in Australia around those client money space in particular, but also thinking of our customer base and making sure that it was going to be really fit for purpose. So that's really why we we were um, uh, inclined to go down the path that we did, which was to you know work with someone that could help build it while well, we we brought, if you like, the expertise about the customer use cases and, and what was really going to work in the market. And of course, as you've um, mentioned, what worked well in Gresham's favour was the fact we've worked together for many, many years on other on other projects. Um, the quality of your team um, uh, globally, but obviously we've got great connections with your people on the ground in, uh, in Australia and also in Singapore. Um, and you offered to sort of do all the tech stuff, the build stuff, and we brought the clients and the smarts, and it ended up being a really healthy and sensible um, arrangement that's led us to that, what we describe as next generation um, hosted bank account platform. Um, well, which you call Flow. Yeah, which we call Flow. Uh, but you've, you've, it's interesting the way you've described it there, Alan, because you've said you didn't want to touch your core. Um, so you've introduced a, a next mm. generation hosted bank account platform. So um, if you don't mind, just explain that concept. I mean, architecturally, how does that fit then with, with your existing um, services? So it sits above them, Ian, but it's tightly integrated in. So it allows our customers to operate, if you like, independent of our core banking system. And what's important here is um, that user experience for the customers. If you think of a of a stockbroker and the way that this is going to be positioned in their business is they're going to be able to onboard and open accounts for a customer of theirs in in a very short period of time, which you can't really do when you're coming back into um, a legacy architecture that sits uh, that sits in the bank. So we have it hosted and we have it sitting on top. It means we don't make any changes to our core banking system. It just connects in. Um, and I, you know, I won't not my own organization. I'm sure it's not unique, but, um, uh, you know, legacy bank systems, um, take some time to change. We don't always shoot the lights out on things like account opening. And so it was an opportunity to kind of segregate that and offer a, um, a vastly different, um, and superior customer experience for both our customer, but, but their customer as well, as well. So, um, um, that, you know, links back to that comment I think I mentioned about some of the things customers are seeking from us is how can you help my own customer experience be better? And so, you know, our customers can offer, we hope, quite distinguishing features when they want to onboard new clients, their platform, that speed and efficiency and faster payments and everything factored into their their settlement of, say, purchases of shares, et cetera. So, so it's a far more efficient and simpler way for us to get new um, platforms into a 180-year-old organisation. So Neil Vernon will talk a little later on about the platform itself, the what you've called the hosted bank account platform. Um, but but I guess the concept that I'm, I've got yes. in my mind here is effectively we've put an innovation layer on top of the, or in front of um, that, um, you know, your heritage, your, your existing platforms and services that's enabled you to serve up yes. new and interesting propositions for your customers. 
Um, and, and so it's moved uh, ANZ forward into quite an interesting and innovative space and, and also provides your customers with the potential to um, drive their own innovation agendas um, as well. So I guess it's, it's a remarkable what yes. has been achieved in that, in that period, Alan. Um, you know, and, and I think on the Gresham side, clearly we've had teams around the world, Bristol, Singapore, out there in, in Melbourne with you and, and, in, and in Sydney. The, the project itself has had some challenges. We did it through the middle of COVID in many ways, um, but we've come an awful long way. And I know there's a huge sense of achievement. Um, so on behalf of the Gresham team, I just want to thank you for the collaborative approach that uh, you and your colleagues have brought to this. Uh, and to thank you on behalf of our, you know, our shareholders on this call as well. Um, so before we let you escape to, uh, to, you know, to your bed, any kind of final thoughts, any closing thoughts on, on uh, the work over the last few years? Um, no, you make a very good point. I mean, I think um, uh, you always like to get things um, to market as quickly as possible. The pandemic certainly didn't help any of us. Um, and I've been working on other projects with other parties outside of Australia. And again, we pat ourselves on the back to have kept them going and delivered where we've got to. But um, no, I think we're very proud and and equally grateful and extend our thanks to the Gresham team for their collaboration. As you know, Tom Olson in Australia is uh, it's almost part of the bank uh, furniture. We see him a lot and he's been a great um, a, a great support and connection point back into the team. And I've had the chance since we have been up and up again to spend quite a bit of time with the team in Bristol, uh, including in July this year. So the connections are very good. Um, and, um, you know, you know our business well, so that helps in all of the design pieces. So I think, I think that, you know, again, when I think of what makes a good relationship between, um, two, you know, partners working on projects like this, you've got to have a uh, good dialogue. You've got to have good relationship. You've got to understand each other's businesses and their culture and also not be afraid to have open conversations when things need a little bit of, of escalation and sorting. We work through all of that. So we're, we're at a nice point. Um, it's a good time to be talking to you. As you know, we're now, our financial year is, is starts on 1st of October. So just in the last, we're just sort of starting that now. And um, we are uh, very optimistic and very excited about the 12 months ahead. Um, and as you mentioned right at the start, this is when we really start to get, um, uh, to get the runs on board with the platform. We've got a pilot customer, um, well and truly identified who've been we've been working with for many many months, but have also, as the uh, we reached the sort of final stages of the platform, built quite a, a pipeline of other um, uh, clients, both of uh, some of whom are new to the bank, <clears throat> and some are existing clients who are looking for an, an up tier. So we've got some pretty ambitious targets for onboarding those clients uh, into this year, and then you know I don't think the sort of work will stop. We've, I've, I've talked very specifically about these use cases, but, um, you know, I think people's imagination can create a lot of other um, sectors, segments and corridors where the base platform can be perhaps modified or tweaked for certain other use cases. We've sort of had to put a lid on that as we get, <laughs> just get to first base, but I think there's plenty to um, to look forward to there. Um, and, of course, you're going on that sort of journey as well. With flow and lots to see, I'm 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 pretty confident that you know by working with us, you've you've tested some genuine use cases in a market that's pretty sophisticated, like many other markets around the world. And so uh, it's a very good 
starting point, I think, for the uh, for the flow journey as well. So um, looking forward to tracking that and obviously looking forward to working with you and the team in the months ahead and toasting, uh, toasting our first client coming on board. Um, fantastic, Alan. What a, what a great way to wrap up. And it's such an interesting um, piece of work we've done together. We could talk for a long time, I'm sure, but I, I am conscious it's incredibly late for you. Um, we want to let you head to bed. Um, but but I'm, I'm hoping you're going to be getting up very, very early on Saturday to support England in the rugby as well. So we, we, we should give you a few moments of sleep. But yeah, on behalf of the Gresham team, thanks so much to you and your colleagues yes. um, for being part of this journey with us. My pleasure. And yeah, really enjoyed uh, being part of it. Thank you for the opportunity, Ian, and um, good luck for the rest of the session. Super. So um, yeah, great, great, great to talk to Alan there. Um, I guess a change of uh, a change of tack now as we move from um, a project with ANZ to a product for the global market, and uh, and it's really then that I'm really delighted to introduce Flow, which you can see on the screen there in front of you. So Flow is our new brand, and it's our new business, and I want to just quickly talk you through the business model. So. The partnership with ANZ is a commercial one. And so ANZ's role has been a development partner, testing partner, early adopter. And our arrangement with them, therefore, is purely commercial. So they do license the product um, and, um, and fund services um, in a fairly normal way. And, um, and then the, the IP that sits in the software uh, itself is for us to take to the global market uh, and so really, when we think about future customers, then our expectation is um, that we will license flow to them independently, and that licensing will be on a subscription basis. And that's the business that we want to build out. And therefore, as a result of that, um, really, um, you know, to, to continue on that journey that I described right at the start. Um, and, uh, and so Flow itself, um, we have formed as a Gresham fintech. Um, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Gresham Technologies PLC. Um, and with that in mind, really, our vision is that Flow will become a self-funded line of business within Gresham. And Tom will talk you through that. In fact, it's already self-funded now. And ultimately, you know, we will build that business out and we have a variety of options as to how that value may be created. Um, but we have trademarked Flow as a Gresham-owned product brand. So the vision for the business, I guess this is, this is us in a nutshell. You know, we're here to enable faster, flexible, frictionless corporate banking for our customers' customers. Um, and as was uh, very eloquently put there by uh, Alan Hughes, you know, we're removing the dependency on, um, in some cases, disjointed legacy architectures, but, um, you know, that, that exist within our clients and have uh, underpinned the industry for decades. Um, and as a result, remove the barriers to growth um, and create opportunity for innovation. Um, so... You'll hear more about this, but our strap line for the business is goodbye friction, hello flow. So I just want to pick up on some of the comments that Alan made with regard to the priorities for ANZ 
and put those in context for the global market. And what you can see here is just a summary of some of the findings from a really good piece of work that was done this year by Ite Navarica, one of the leading analysts that focuses on you know, financial services technology. And this survey of their clients, largely US-based banking clients, transaction banking clients, those clients were asked, how much of a priority are the following initiatives? And there was a long list of initiatives. Um, as your bank specifically enhances its cash management and treasury services and processes. And uh, what you see here are the top priority and definitely plan to invest categories. And 59% of those banks responded that the top priority and definitely plan to invest is to build our APIs for corporate customers and 49% for tighter integration of cash management and onboarding. And I'll let you read the rest of the slide, I won't go through it. But I think that's a very, very good segue into flow um, because these are exactly the initiatives that we're focused on. Um, so perhaps this is a really good time to bring uh, Neil into the conversation. Um, and Neil, maybe just take that first point around APIs and what it means for banks and their customers. And, and first of all, what, what's an API? What's an API? Well, you know, when we want to talk to a computer, we pick up our phone and we type into our laptop. So we humans talk to computers th through UIs. How do computers talk to computers? Well, actually, in the past, and still part of our current, how computers talk to computers is by the deliver delivery of files. So if you're a payments platform and you need to make run, do a payments run, they, you'll be asked to provide a... a a file of payments for next Wednesday and you'll wait until Wednesday and then you'll set, deliver your payments to the bank and the bank will process the whole file of payments and then hopefully, and it is a bit of hope, you'll get some messaging back on the Thursday. So a week or more after you've done the, the actual desire to do the payments run, you actually get the feedback back. APIs is the complete modernization of that. It's to allow computers at the corporate to talk to the computers at the bank in real time so you can send those payments in real time so you can get that cash management information in real time. So that, and all the things that Alan talked about, all, all, all of the movement that ANZ are doing in the market require this real-time nature. So APIs actually are at the heart of everything we do and it's no surprise that this is a big requirement ac across the globe. Um, so, yeah, Neil, I guess take it from there and talk a little bit about the the bank's customer and what you see as their requirements and then talk a little bit about the use cases. Yeah, so this is interesting, isn't it? Um, when we first started talking to ANZ about this project, um, we, did, we did some little bit of research with them, in fact, quite a lot of research, and um, they did something they'd never done before, which was something that um, most banks had never done before. They actually spoke to their customers and try to really understand what it was that their customers wanted. And what they were actually asking for was that the corporate processes to be tightly integrated with the bank. So that payments example, I don't want to wait a week to send you a payments file. I want to, I want to deliver it now and I want to get the results now. And I want to act on the back of that now. And I want to sweep and I want to fund and I want to move things now. And all of my corporate processes where they're backed by the bank should be tightly integrated to the bank. Now, in many, many cases, and you heard Alan talk about this, in many, many cases, the corporates have a need to have a set of bank accounts that they can create, that they can manage, that they can maintain, that they can fund. 
And at the moment, for most banks, that's really difficult to provide. So we were hearing time and time again that the corporates need easy access to create and maintain bank accounts. The banks can't do everything. The corporates know the banks can't do everything, but what they, what they do see is a really interesting landscape of fintechs. And what the corporates are asking their banks to do is to provide access to those fintechs backed by the bank so that the, all, the, all of those modern capabilities that we see generally in the retail market are available to corporate customers. And then the banks themselves and the corporates are generating masses of really interesting data. It's just data, data, data. We don't do anything with that. We don't grab insights from it. We don't look at trending. We, there's very little that the banks are providing back to their corporate customers about the data that the banks have held, about the, the, the patterns that the bank's seeing. So we think there's a real market and we know that corporates are looking for better stories about how to use that data. And then a lot of the corporates are operating in regulated markets and the regulations underpin the bank accounts that the corporates are operating. But the bank isn't providing easy, ready-to-go regulation. So the corporates are having to layer regulation outside of the bank. And it should be, they're looking for, they want it built in. They want a bank account to know the regulatory environment that it operates in. Let me move on to some use cases. And I think we've touched on a few of these. So we talked about wealth managers, this real ease of creating bank accounts for the individuals that need to invest with the wealth manager. And I'm going to go on and talk a bit more about use case in a moment, so I'll move on. Complex multinationals, we know that as the corporates grow in size and as they look to centralise their treasury function, one of the impedances to that centralisation is the management of bank accounts. They need an easy way to create bank accounts for the various departments and to fund those bank accounts, to move money between those bank accounts and to, just to manage the complex infrastructure that their corporates need. And the banks don't provide that. Or they don't provide that in an easy way. And flow is, is a way to deliver that um, in-house bank capability to complex multinationals. Solicitor use case and uh, professional services. You know, a typical use case here is you, you're buying a property off plan, you put a deposit into the solicitor, the solicitor needs to keep that money for nine months until your property is built. At the moment, for the solicitor to open up a bank account f to hold your money, your deposit money, it's quite a lot of paper, well it's paperwork actually, so that, that's the first red flag, isn't it? It's paperwork. There's impedance in the process, there's friction in the process. Flow removes that friction, allows solicitors to open up professional services accounts for the holding of other people's money easily, real-time, through APIs. And the last of the four, property managers. So you're managing a whole bunch of properties. It would be far easier for you if every property had its own bank account. In fact, it would be better for you if every property had a, a number of bank accounts, a bank account for the rent, a bank account for the services, a bank account for security, and, and so on and so forth. But if you try to do that, you, you met with this impedance again, you met with this paperwork again, you met with difficulty in the flow. So property managers need an easy way to create and maintain bank accounts. Let's move on and let's talk a little bit about the wealth manager use case. One of the big issues that the wealth managers face is in the customer conversion process. So they do a big advertising campaign and a thousand customers sign up. There's a nice UI that the wealth managers provided for signing up and they've lured you in. And then you hit a certain point in the process where they need a bank account. And there's a print PDF option. And you print the PDF and you fill it out and you meant to stuff it into an envelope and send it off and it just dies. You know, you don't convert the customer. With Flow, you hit a nice page to allow you to enter your details. 
Those details are sent to the bank through those APIs. The bank responds in real time and says, yes, we can create the customer. Yes, we need some additional information for KYC, but you, we, you, we can allow the deposit. Yes, you can trade on this, or, or, or no, we, we're going to hold it up, but, but we'll, we'll send you a message in real time at the point where, we, where we're happy that you can trade on it. So we've moved a process that's fractured with lots of friction that breaks the conversion process to being easy, integrated, and seamless for the wealth manager and seamless for the wealth manager's customer. I'm going to show you a UI here. This is a UI we've built. You'll, you'll think we're terrible at building UIs because it doesn't look the best. Um, in reality, we will, our, our UIs will never see the light of day. There will always be backed, there, there will always be a wealth manager UI, a property manager UI. There will always be UIs that, that take advantage of those APIs. So what, what, don't, don't, don't get too concerned about the look and feel here. So we're signing in, we've got 55 customers on board flow now at this point, 44 accounts open. In reality, that would be tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of accounts. We've, got, we've received nine receipts today. We've got six problems that we've got to deal with. And I want to jump into one of these wealth manager use cases. So a bunch of accounts that they've managed to open, all through those APIs, all from, all from the wealth manager UI, hit, hitting and creating these, these wealth manager accounts. These accounts understand the environment they operate in. So they understand that they're going to be used for trading on the stock exchange. They understand that they need parties, they need trustees, they need beneficiaries. These are things that are normally held by the bank platform in a narrative field. The bank doesn't normally hold this data. This is regulatory data. You need to have a, you need to have a beneficiary. You need to have a trustee. Flow knows that and enforces the collection of them. Flow understands the other parts of the regulatory environment. So for example, we understand withholding tax. We know that when we generate interest, that some, of, some part of that interest must be kept away for paying tax. We and we know whether they're a, a, a national or an international investor, and we understand the tax differences. The flow has been built to understand this and really understands it in the flow, in the sense of if interest rates change, we know to change a withholding tax calculation. Sounds straightforward. What if they forget to do it and you have to back value it? You have to back value the withholding tax. Flow knows how to do that. It understands the complexity there. We know that you're trading on a stock exchange, and to have a stock exchange, we know that you have to have a customer-linked account. Flow enables this and captures this information. That's, that's information that the bank typically find very difficult to hold and, and, and consequently put impedances in the flow. Um, at the heart of what we want is a really customizable solution. So we want the wealth managers and the people that are creating accounts to be able to create accounts that are customized for, the, for their end users. So we can see here I've got a bronze, a, a straightforward customer account and a gold account, a set of products. I'm going to show you how we create those in a moment, but I just want to flip to another customer use case, property manager, Knight Fred. <laughs> same UI, same capabilities, but these are, these are, these are accounts that understand that they're in the property domain. So we know we're, we're managing the property at 10 Pitt Street. We know we're managing the utilities for 10 Pitt Street. All of those accounts can be created by the property manager when they bring a new property on board. It's really straightforward to create new accounts. And those accounts understand the domain they're operating in. Much less regulated domain, actually quite straightforward from flow. They're just ultimately just standard bank accounts under the covers. But, but nonetheless, really easy um, for, for them to be maintained. Let's talk about interest rates. Interest rates should be really easy. You'd think at the heart of any banking system would be, would be the management of interest rates. It's not done well at all. Flow has named interest rates. 
so that I can assign a named interest rate to, to, to a customer. So here's, here's, a, here's a customer rate, they're getting 15 bits off the, uh, uh, on top of the OCR rate. So that's what the bank will pay the wealth manager. What is the wealth manager going to pay its customers? Well, it's going to segregate its customers. It's got gold, silver, and bronze customers. And if you're a bronze customer, it's going to give you, it's going to give you, um, I can't remember, what is it? 240 bips below the basis point. So you're going to get less interest. So the, so the customer gets one interest rate, the client, the gold, bronze client gets less. The gold one only, only ha loses 10 bips. So you can see that we've got this customization of interest rates. The important thing here is that at the moment, if you go into uh, the bank account, you won't, you won't see that where the interest rate is held, you'll see a rate. And if they need to change a the rate, they need to change it on the account. And if you've got 10,000 accounts that are 1.8%, you, you need to update 10,000 accounts. It's really inefficient. There's loads of friction at the bank end of the process. So flow by having something as simple as named interest rates uh, removes a lot of friction from the, from the flow. Let's look at products and let's look at the creation of a product. So I'm looking at a, a base, uh, a wealth manager use case here. And I'm going to add in, you may have spotted that we were missing the silver product. So I'm going to specialize our base wealth manager product and add in a silver product. And flow is, understands the capabilities that a wealth manager account system will require. And you'll see that I can go down and I can, I can configure those capabilities. So I can add a funding pool. Where does the money go? Where, where, where does money receive? So a set of accounts under the covers in the core banking platform. What currencies should Flow provide? Flow is fully multi-currency. So here we're going to create an Aussie dollar and a sterling accounts for, for, for our silver customers. Are we going to, when interest is created, when, when, do we, when do we credit it? End of the month in this particular use case. It understands whether we need um, beneficiaries and trustees. So we're going to say, yes, we want both, both and we're going to force those to be held on the account. Are we going to stop these accounts going overdrawn? Yes, we are. Are we going to pay client interest on them? Yes, we are. So now I pick, pick my rate. So I, I'd already predefined that silver rate, so I can add in the silver rate. So now anybody that opens an account in this product automatically gets a silver interest rate and they get the base rate for sterling. So Flow knew about all of those capabilities and offered them to a designer to design a new account. And this is something that the end, you, the end product manager at the wealth manager can do. They can design accounts. They can provide ultra-tailored accounts for their various customer segments. And this is something that's just not possible with the current relationships that that wealth managers have with, 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 with their banks. This, this uber degree of customization and, 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 and enablement. So let's talk about the, the platform and the technology. So um, we built this from the ground up to be cloud native. It's Kubernetes, it's Kafka, it's React, it's Clojure. Highly, highly scalable through cloud scale. So it, need more accounts, need more volume, throw more computers, Flow will deal with that scale. Minimal cost of ownership though through the, the economies of cloud. Let me take you through the layers of our platform and at the very top layer are those APIs. So everything we expect to do with Flow ultimately will come through that API layer. Next layer down is our product building studio and I'm just taking you through that. This ability to customize the accounts to enable 
fine-grained control over the accounts that you offer is baked into Flow. Flow understands that these accounts need to be customised, but at the base level, it understands what you can provide and what you can't provide to keep those accounts in track with regulation. Ultimately, we need to provide banking services, we need to provide payments, we need to provide statements and so on and so forth. So there's a whole host of banking services. And below that, baked in, ultimately, is a virtual accounts platform, a double entry, immutable store that's baked into the heart of Flow. And finally, and Alan talked about this a little bit, we can't do everything ourselves. We know that there are capabilities in the bank that we will need to take advantage of. So ultimately, at the base level of Flow is an orchestration layer that allows us to coordinate Flow against the rest of the um, services of the bank and pull in those so that KYC, for example, is a service we can pull in. Just one final thing I'd like to talk about very, very quickly, because I'm running out of time. <laughs> uh, just talk about our, our roadmap for Flow. So you've, seen, so you've seen some of the capabilities that are going live right now. Um, we believe that partners are going to be really important to us, and Geneva will talk about that in a minute. So we're going to add better capabilities for partners, better, better SDKs, software development kits, better support for extensibility. We know that data is really important, so we've got a lot of work to do on data and, and, and making that data accessible. We want to use AI and ML to drive some degrees of automation and AI and ML to drive insights. And we want to build out those in-house banks and sub-accounts and multi-bank customers' capabilities. And, and, and actually governments. So there's a whole host of business level things that we've got on our roadmap. So a really interesting roadmap for Flow. Neil, fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, a whistle stop tour through the demonstration, the platform and the underlying technology and some of the ideas we've got. You know, we've got something here that's really exciting uh, and it's clearly proven out now with our um, early adopter um, bank. So we're ready to go to market. We've built out some of our messaging, some of which you can see here, really around you know, enabling faster, more flexible, more frictionless banking for our bank's customers and for their customers, um, and a very strong messaging. So I think that, with that in mind, is probably a really good time to introduce Geneva. Welcome, Geneva. Um, you've had a good few months in the business. We've, you've made um, a real impact. Uh, since you've been here. Um, so why not just talk us through where we are today with Flow and the go-to-market plans? Yeah, sure. Thank you. I'm very much enjoying being part of the Gresham team and Flow is a, a huge component of me coming to join. It's a really exciting proposition and I think building out the opportunity in this space uh, as a startup within a well-established organisation is also uh, an extremely exciting cultural element that we'll be able to introduce into the, the main part of our business. So to pick up where Ian left off, where are we now with Flow? We are now live. You will be able to have a look at the website, which is flowtech.com, which highlights the how it works section of the site, which Neil's taken you through and those use case pieces, but really tailored toward that banking audience, which we're looking to dial up and land with. As we start to wrap up our progress from a marketing point of view in 2023, we're really assessing the amount of momentum we've already started to build. As I mentioned, we have that feeling of a startup. So we're looking at approaching this in a slightly different way. How do we continue to learn as we evolve and grow and tweak our messaging so that it is really landing with the right audiences at the right time in the market and scaling as we will move into 2024. That messaging has already been tested, as the team have mentioned, at Cybos. 
starting to talk to not only the banks around where this can land and um, un unique people within the organisation that we haven't spoken to before in the past, but also assessing the competitors within the landscape. So what are they, what are the USPs that they're dialing up and how can we cre create a really competitive edge there and uniqueness because of the, the dynamism of the product and also the elements that um, ANZ have talked around building it sort of together around their use cases. We're looking to officially launch in November. So we have a launch plan with some press that will go live next month. And now we start to look at how that lands with journalists and what angles we can have in the market around this new innovation space, which is hugely exciting and also very, very relevant with what's happening in the market. Looking further ahead into 2024 and how we scale, ANZ will be a really key part of building a much larger media moment for us. So leveraging their audiences and their network, which Alan talked about, to really show the impact that we've been able to create with the product and the scaling plan. And as I said, we will continue to iterate on the messages and the USPs will be able to dial up. Some of those examples live here. So building on the legacy piece or really anchoring around that innovation space, setting your ideas free or picking up those friction points that we're seeing within the organization that's taking them time to do as Neil ran through. Looking into the November launch period, we'll also be testing messaging across social media. So starting audiences from scratch, we obviously have a very significant Gresham base, but we will be having completely new separate messaging and new proposition across our digital channels for flow. And it's a real chance for us to dial up some new thought leadership, which we haven't really explored before from necessarily the core brand. And then in 2024, we also have the potential to explore new innovation and fintech spaces. So within our kind of traditional core and back office and a lot of the successful events that we run for Gresham, we have a very strong foothold there, but Flow really gives us a chance to explore new territory and to be at potential events like Money 2020, which we're exploring for 24. So really just to summarize some of the pieces for the marketing elements, that insights piece and how messages land and how we dial up the USPs for the brand, particularly with that focus across North America and Europe is where we're really anchoring. And with that, I'll hand over to Ian to talk through the next evolution of our go-to-market plan. Great, thanks Geneva. Um, yeah, so just in terms of um, the marketing focus, you know, we, we believe that the market, much as was described earlier on, you know, is going to be the mid to large transaction banks around the world. There's probably 250 to 300 that we're going to be targeting, not the very largest global transaction banks that we think and we know some of whom have already built in-house, but absolutely those that don't want to go down and embark on a build and don't want to replace their core systems, much as uh, was described earlier on today, that I think is going to be our sweet spot. And we'll be looking for those that have a particular focus around serving segments that have initially uh, client money use cases, but as Neil was describing, the opportunity to broaden out into corporate monies and other uh, segments as well. Um, and we'll be focusing um, on North America and uh, Western Europe to start with. So our, our near-term goals, what do we want to achieve? We want to build out a dedicated, flow-specific sales team. Initially, one seller, one domain expert, and some dedicated marketing. And then focus on building distribution channels and partnerships, and build pipeline 
Uh, we've already started that process and our aspiration is that during 24 to land a second bank customer and that will provide us the springboard, if you will, to, uh, to grow and develop the business further. And, you know, as Geneva was eloquently describing, really, very much a startup mentality here. We want to move fast, we'll learn, we'll test, we'll refine um, and tighten up the go-to-market plan. And that itself will then inform the product plans of which we've got a lot of ideas. Um, so I think that's a really nice segue into just talking um, around, really, what this means for Gresham Technologies PLC, where does flow fit? Um, and we've got a couple of minutes before questions, Tom, if you don't mind, just to take us through some thoughts on that. Thanks, Ian. So firstly, we've heard about those go-to-market plans from Geneva and Ian. So the first question is, how are they funded? So certainly for FY24 in terms of investment, the way we're thinking about this is that it's within the current income statement expectations. With the product development funding continued to be funded for the foreseeable future at its current velocity through the ANZ Innovation Service. Those modest go-to-market investments that Ian has mentioned are effectively self-funded through the subscriptions and the subscription growth that we're already through Flow and that ANZ relationship. Later on after that, uh, into 2025, the plans for that will very much be determined by the progress that we make in 2024. But our initial high level thinking is that if there is incremental growth over and above any plan, that we'd look to reinvest that inflow to accelerate any growth there. Now, to take that up a little bit further again and see how that fits within the group. Obviously, we've been working on this back since 2019. So where has it been reported and how does it fit into things at a higher level? So firstly, in terms of where has it been sitting to date? We've been reporting the flow financials within the clarity business segment. It's been reported as the digital banking business segment of Clarity, where we have broken Clarity down further. There's really three areas of revenue stream within Clarity that has been generated from Flow to date. There's the development side of things. So that is the innovation service. That's a team of about eight originally, now up to about 16 heads since 2019. That's been funded through an innovation service. We, we've charged that to ANZ at cost. It's been recognized as clarity non-recurring revenue through the income statement. And the vast majority of those costs have been capitalized as intangible assets and amortized over their, their then useful lives. Obviously aligned with our IFRS governed reporting. We then have the, the ARR that's being generated. As we started dropping product into ANZ, it started generating subscription revenues on standard subscription terms. And that's been ramping as further product has been dropped and will ramp further as ANZ roll it out more widely and the, the transaction fees start coming through. And then, of course, as we sign customer two, three and four. That has been included within our Clarity forward-looking ARR, as you see on the right-hand side there, depicted in that chart that is taken from our full-year reporting at the end of 2022. You can see that the digital banking, as it was then known prior to Flow, represented 4% of total Clarity ARR. In addition to that, we then have the implementation and onboarding services, traditional TNM type services that would go with any software implementation. Obviously, have moved around based upon program activity, but very predictable 12 to 18 months out. And they've also been re recorded through Clarity non-recurring revenues. Now, just to take things up a step further even and have a look at the, how this fits into our 
overall strategic goals. Um, Ian talked about earlier from this transition over the last decade from cross-industry business with a mixed portfolio of disparate legacy software and services revenue to this pure play software business with a portfolio of complementary fintech SaaS revenues as we are today. So you can see on the left-hand side there, those legacy revenues. You can see the different mix of those, and I won't go through them in detail, but partner software, around 50% margin, own software that has been sold off over the last decade and now no longer exists, but was very high margin. And then we have the contracting services. I would just say that the contracting services has fluctuated quite significantly over that period, but it's also been very much no risk. The vast majority of it has been a fixed 13% margin with ANZ outside of the strategic growth areas of the business. Then on the right-hand side, we see the exciting bits. We see clarity. You can see in 2012, the, the, the first implementation, you can actually barely see it there because of the scale of that graph. Just coming through in 2012, the first recurring revenues coming through. And see, as we get to 2015, there's also some non-recurring revenues. Back in 2015, as well as the clarity recurring revenues, we were also selling perpetual licenses and term licenses. So in that darker orange chunk, there's also that element of non-recurring revenue. By 2020, we've made a full transition to being a full subscription business. So you can see that actually the non-recurring revenues are pretty much held, but the recurring chunk had grown significantly. And then there's that small slither of flow appearing on the end there. We'd have also seen the flow innovation service and the flow non-recurring revenues start to be included in that darker orange part of that chart. Another way of saying all of this is that in 2012, we, we had about 12 million of relatively low quality revenues. The proceeds from those low quality revenues over the last decade, we've reinvested in clarity. And, and that as we come through to today, we now actually still have about 10 million of those low quality revenues. But in addition to that, we have about 40 million of high quality revenues growing strongly with all the attributes you'd expect of a pure play software business in the fintech space. With that, I'll take a breath and pass back to Ian. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, take a breath because we've covered a lot of ground, actually. Um, yeah, so uh, obviously we started out with a quick recap of group strategy. Um, we talked about the project with ANZ and I think a really excellent discussion with Alan Hughes from ANZ talking about that project. Um, and then we spent time talking about the transition from project to product um, and how um, we believe we've got something that's bang on for the market at this moment in time. Um, and we've got a clear go-to-market plan around, um, around that product um, and how we're going to fund and drive that forward over the next uh, few years. So. A lot of information to take in. I think now's probably a very good time to draw breath. Um, let's move to a Q&A session. I think we've got about 15 minutes, actually. Um, and uh, so, uh, Tamsin, I think you're on the line. You're going to just quickly go through some of the questions that uh, have come in for us. And the first question is from Tintin Stormont at Numis. How should we think about the features or functionality of Flow in other markets if a lot of the use cases were built for ANZ and presumably the Australian market, or is the majority of global applicability? Yeah, hi Tintin, good, good question, and Neil and I will cover that off. I mean, um, certainly 
Um, you know, there are wealth managers, solicitors, property managers, corporates in every market around the world. So, um, yeah, Neil, just talk to any uh, sort of ANZ Australia specifics versus the generic element of, of yeah, the platform. Yeah, so it, it's largely generic. The, 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 the core accounts platform is generic. The layers we put on top of that are largely generic. Where Tintin, where we do get some Oz-specific is we understand the regulatory environment, but actually it's, it's, we understand it from an Australian perspective for those wealth manager accounts. All of that code, though, is, is easily extensible to other markets and other jurisdictions. If we so decide to add in that regulatory environment, I think it's a big plus, but it doesn't have to be there to, to sell to wealth managers in other environments. They can continue to do that off system. I prefer to do it on system, but it, it's, it's, it's a separate capability and, it, and so we're not embedded into the Australian market. Julian Yates from Investec. Can you talk about the sales cycles, the length of them and hoops to cross at client procurement? Yeah, hi Julian. Um, yeah, I mean obviously this is, this is a, a phase that we're now embarking on and um, you know, we have a lot to learn in that respect. Um, you know, but um, our experience in um, selling mission critical core solutions for banking is not new to Gresham. We've been doing that for many, many years. Um, my expectation is that we are looking at relatively long sales cycles, 12 months plus, um, and that those sales cycles will typically involve client workshops, deep dives, um, and possibly um, some kind of um, tightly focused proofs of concept. Of course, we've got a good customer reference to hand um, and, you know, a, a product that demonstrates well, um, you know, so, I, but I would expect that the sales cycles will in general be 12 to 15 months. Um, and, uh, you know, we started that process already, of course. And can you talk about the pricing model? Yeah, another, another very good question, actually. So um, our, our thinking on the pricing model is that there will be a base um, fee um, and then there will be a per transaction fee. Um, in other words, the number of transactions that go through the product will define the, um, the overall price that the client will pay. And that model enables us to cover cloud costs if it's on our platform. Um, and it's a model that um, you know, we, we think will work well uh, versus the legacy players, um, some of whom will be charging uh, license fees um, that, that are less transparent. Um, and I think if you think about the model, it's really important that the bank can forecast and predict based on the business that they get from their own clients. Great, thank you very much. And a lead-on question. Um, what time or what can customers expect on return on investment? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of return on investment, I mean, I think Alan Hughes described that quite well in the sense that, um, you know, uh, he, he, he talked about the opportunity to win new to bank clients. Uh, and he also talked about the ability to capture deposits faster. Um, so those are clearly two quite important ones when it comes to the growth side of the agenda. But I think there's also a number of things that we can talk about in the business case for the banks and their clients 
um, you know, around digital transformation. I don't know if you want to add to that, Neil. Yeah, I mean, you saw, I think you saw that when we talked about this, this, the wealth manager use case, that enabling and getting rid of the paper blocks is really important for the bank and the bank's customers. So significant cost savings. Now, I think this is much more about the top line than the bottom line, but significant cost savings in the, in the management of the data that flow maintains. So, so those interest rate changes are really trivial in flow. And yet at, at ANZ at the moment, changing the interest rate is a week's worth of, of, of manual effort for somebody. So we, we get rid of manual processes in the bank as part of the digital transformation. And regarding your go-to-market, what are your thoughts between targeting developed countries, say the USA, um, versus emerging markets where new digital banks and challenger banks will shortcut the legacy processes and systems? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And, 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 it, and um, Neil and I, in fact, were at Cybos and um, I, I met a number of prospects and, and they fell into both camps, actually, um, you know, uh, mature um, institutions in well-developed, uh, you know, mature um, markets like the US, for example. Uh, and, and then also some, um, you know, digital challenges or, as you say, um, firms that want to, to leapfrog existing generations of technology. So there's, there's definitely interest there. Um, you know, in terms of focusing our efforts and where we're going to put our, you know, direct sales efforts and our marketing efforts, we, we believe that the best return will come from working with uh, institutions that are, um, you know, clear about their requirements. In other words, they're potentially on a further generation of technology um, and that they fully understand um, some of the concepts, um, you know, most notably, you know, the um, the fact that we're innovating above the core, uh, and those institutions are where some of the legacy is likely to be. Um, so, you know, we, this, in part, this is about focus in terms of where we put our efforts. Um, you know, but that doesn't mean to say that now that flow is out there in the market, um, that there won't be inbound interest, um, and we'll obviously qualify it, and, you know, if appropriate, we'll go after it. And clearly flow has a lot of potential in terms of recurring revenue, but how significant could it be for your services business? Um, yeah, it, interesting. Um, you know, I, I think our, our expectation is that, you know, the way the product has been built with software development kit and APIs, as Neil's described, um, that actually the more mature clients will be able to do a lot of work themselves, and that's probably the integration area, for example. Um, and I think there is opportunity for partners to come in to do work where UIs perhaps need to be built. So we are not seeing the requirement for us to build a substantial services business, um, but to work in collaboration with our clients' IT teams and, in some cases, their chosen existing partners. And when you talk about reinvesting in flow, if everything goes well in 2024, is that largely in go-to-market or is there more technology or applications you'd like to build out? Yeah, so, so certainly we're expecting the majority of any investments go into, into go-to-market at, at this stage. Um, there are clearly um, other areas of product development that we could go into, as, as, as have been described, in terms of other use cases and so on. We probably look for a development partner 
for for those if they're they're significant. Um, but yeah, to to answer the question, the majority will be certainly be weighted towards um, towards go to market and uh, and building that. And when you look across your top 25 banking clients, how applicable is Flow in terms of cross-selling opportunity? Um, it, it's definitely applicable. Um, and of course, um, you know, we, our extended client base also includes you know, many firms that are you know, on the wealth management side or investment management side as well. So we're, we're playing into an ecosystem that we know well. However, having said that, um, part of the reason why we um, we believe the right thing to do is for us to build a dedicated go-to-market team. You know, as we are dealing with different domain requirements and we are dealing with different sponsors. So there is going to be, uh, you know, some overlap in the clients and that's a good thing. It means that we can potentially navigate our way from one part of their business, their markets business, for example, into their transaction banking business. Um, but once we're into a sales cycle, I think the nature of conversations is going to be a little different. And, and, and that's why we, we, we um, feel that we need some dedicated resource. And is the plan to build Flow out a separate division in terms of identity, culture and how you market? Um, well, so Flow is very much a part of Gresham. We've set it up um, with some dedicated resources and we've set it up with a specialist brand uh, and we've trademarked that and we've uh, also put a legal entity in place. Um, however, it will be very integrated as part of Gresham um, in the early days. Um, so, you know, all of the support that, um, you know, that team will get will come from across our business. Um, but really what we're setting out here is an opportunity to grow something and give it the freedom uh, that it needs and also to encourage you know, the agility and the dynamism, and that's what Geneva was talking about in terms of a startup. So enable it to have, you know, some freedom to try and test and, you know, push forward with new ideas. Um, and so in some ways, it's also pushing the boundaries of what we as a company can do. Um, so bringing some of that startup thinking and fast paced elements to it, you know, pushing forward on digital, um, and, and a good example of, you know, how that can bring benefits to the wider Gresham is actually on the branding side. So, you know, we've we've developed, I think, a very fresh and innovative brand here. Um, and some of those ideas are, you know, flowing into what we think we can do with the wider Gresham brand as well as, you know, the brands for our existing products. Um, you know, but ultimately today we're one company. We have a great culture across the whole of Gresham, um, but we can push it forward. Um, with some new ideas and some new thinking and flow is a vehicle for us to do that. Great, thank you very much. And I think we've got time for just one more question. And this is from Harry at Singers. What's your expectation with ANZ or other potential customers around uptake? Do you expect all ANZ corporate bank accounts to be managed by flow or an unknown percentage of their accounts? And will this be determined by the bank or the end customer? Yeah. It, hi, Harry. Interesting question. And, you know, I, I, if you don't mind, I won't comment on ANZ's, um, uh, you know, banking strategy and plans. And that remains one for them. Uh, we, we will support them in their aspirations. And we very much hope that 
um, you know, flow will be adopted widely across the business. And, and I think Alan Hughes has talked to that, but it's very much for them to comment on at the time that it's right. And, you know, that isn't now, that'll be into next year, really, when, when they talk about their own plans. Um, you know, but, but, but I think where, we, where could we go with this? You know, we've started, um, you know, with ANZ on some specific use cases. Bank number two, bank number three, bank number four may take us in different directions. And, um, you know, Neil's described, you know, very clearly how flexible and how generic the underpinnings of the platform are. Um, and, and so without doubt, there is potential, you know, for flow to be used in our customers um, in quite a broad way, um, you know, as an innovation layer and a front end, um, you know, to their core banking offerings, um, you know, in a much broader sense. Um, so I hope that's given you a sense of where we could go. Um, but as I said, I think it's for, you know, ANZ or for any of our customers to comment on their own plans. Tremendous. Thank you very much. We do have more questions, but I'm afraid we've run out of time. So we'll make sure we get those to you separately. Back to you, Ian. Uh, thanks, Tamsin. Um, yeah, some interesting questions. And um, yeah, t we've only had um, an hour and a half and it's gone past very, very quickly and we have covered an awful lot of ground. So we will definitely try and answer questions um, as a follow up and, and obviously look forward to seeing you know, many of you on the road as part of our you know, kind of um, business as usual. So I guess just to summarise, um, you know, final slide really, what we see here is an opportunity for us to create incremental value for you as our shareholders. You know, to date, if you think about the journey we've been on that, that we talked about at the start and that Tom also covered, you know, we've built the Gresham of today, you know, is noticeably different company from where we were um, with our legacy portfolio some 10 years ago. At that point, we funded the innovation that led to the clarity business through our legacy businesses and cash flows. We've now got a new line of business up and running. It shows, you know, comparable potential, I would say. Uh, and we funded that through our, you know, business as usual. So, um, you know, the innovation is funded. Um, as you've also heard, the product is proven. Uh, it's built, it's tested, it's in production with a, um, a respected um, you know, financial institution of scale uh, and a referenceable customer when the time is right. Um, and as you've also heard, the market is ready. Um, you know, that's endorsed not only by, um, you know, our uh, kind of anecdotal meetings in banking conferences in, you know, the last year or so, but concrete, um, you know, market research uh, from, again, respected third parties. So the market's ready. Um, I think our plan is maturing. We've got work to do. Uh, we need to get that initial team in place. Um, but I do feel that we've got a very strong brand uh, that we're building out here, some very clear messaging, and we know what we need to do in terms of go to market. Um, so we're ready to hire up. Um, small, very focused, as Tom said, within the plan uh, as we have it today. Um, you know, but I guess I'll just wrap up and say we're really excited about this. Um, it's an opportunity for us to build you know, an additional valuable fintech business within Gresham. Um, and, you know, the team is really pumped up and enthusiastic about what we can do. And I hope as a result of today's session that you have got a real sense of that and share our excitement as well. So thank you very much for joining us.
PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.